Hey, welcome to Conversations with my dear friend, Jeff Conway. My name is Susan. This is A Different Kind of Walk. Hey friends, in today's episode, Jeff and I discuss our own personal journeys with mental health, including some distressing incidents we've experienced and the tools we've used to get through them. Enjoy the episode. Hello. (laughs) Oh my gosh, me and technology. I just said, or was trying to say that you and I do this by Zoom. Hello, everybody listening. You get the audio part of it. But two Zoom meetings ago, somebody told me that when I'm pushing all the buttons that say allow and audio and all of that, that your face is actually seen by everybody that's already in the room. (laughs) I kind of have this jaw drop kind of (laughs) stare. So I don't know if anybody else has been harassed for Zoom prep face out there or not. I don't know. <laughs> well, I recently discovered this. I'm going to change something about my face. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Give myself a beard. <laughs> yeah, then a, a little little whisker on the chin, but then across the lip also there. Yeah, here's a big old mustache. Oh my gosh. Now, are you going to teach me how to do that before my next Zoom um, uh, either Bible study or I'm on a committee at the church uh, for the deacons? Is that? Oh, great. Now it just signed me out. So I'm stuck permanently with a beard. Oh, no, because I was going to just say you need to get rid of the beard and mustache because it's freaking me out just a little bit. (laughs) Okay, so none. There we go. (laughs) All right. You are fine always and I am fine. Never, but we'll be fine just as we are. Just as yeah, so taking a little detour, how do you feel like relationships have helped your mental health in uh, all that you've been going through? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, what an incredible gift it has been to have family and friends journey and each of them getting what I'm dealing with in different ways. Mm-hmm. And each of them respond. I mean, some just want to pray and, and make it all better and good tomorrow. And some may not be praying people who even bring that kind of stuff up. And some who offer a lot of empathy and care. And, you know, I could just go on with different mm-hmm. illustrations here, but you get what I'm saying. I just, I have all those kind of people in my life and it's lovely mm-hmm. and wonderful uh, and celebratory life-giving mm-hmm. that flows right along with that life-giving love and grace and mercy. 
that God is pouring into me. Uh, so those streams run alongside each other. Uh, and some are within the stream of Christ, certainly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just absolutely lovely. I mean, that I have Islamic friends who are praying for me mm-hmm. um, and express it. And I, I know they are uh, because I just know them and I know their lives and I know they're praying for me. And it's absolutely lovely. Uh, and people who question a reality or existence of something beyond are not in that flow with me in the relationship that we have, but but it's still lovely that they're walking alongside me and, and encouraging me. So, you know, my biggest desire is for people to know that I know that I'm loved by God. Um, and I want them to know the fullness of that love also. Very simple. Yeah. Very simple. You mentioned in the last podcast how when you got in your bike accident in college or grad school, um, Mm -hmm. how there was a point where you got really down and a friend literally like, picked you up and threw his shoulder and took you out because, and, and pulled you out of that. It was ridiculous. I mean, he knew nothing of how dark I was. He didn't know that I was sitting on that patio, looking at that pool, trying to figure out how I could bunk my head and not make it look like a suicide. He had no idea about any, I mean, nobody did. I didn't express that until years later. And so when I just said, no, I can't walk the three blocks to the pub. I just, I'm in too much pain. And he doesn't say anything. He just picks me up and throws me over his shoulder. Mm -hmm. And that was enough to empower me to go, I'm talking to the doctors. This is insane. Uh, Instead of just being the victim or, you know, I was on my own. I didn't have parents around to help or any of that kind of thing. So I didn't know that doctors weren't God. Um, (laughs) And, you know, you just have to believe everything they're saying. And and for some reason, Chuck Fligger picking me up and throwing me over his shoulder and taking me down to have a couple of beers at Duffy's just gave me that courage. The next doctor's appointment to say, I'm not putting up with this. Mm -hmm. This let's move forward. Let's not pretend this isn't happening or as bad as it is. So, yeah. 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 So like that, I relate to that because like, I'm not nearly as social as you are, but in my worst times, it has been relationships that have kept me going. Um, And I can, I'll tell some of those stories, but before I get to that, I have a, I have a friend that I'm currently working with or just, spending a lot of time with trying to be intentional with because she doesn't have a lot of community and she's in a very, very low place right now. And she constantly brings up all of these issues that she's having. And, you know, she gets to the point where she's like, I should just not be here. I should just kill myself. Mm. Um, And 
I don't think she's actually going to act on that. I've expressed that. Like, do you feel like you're actually going to do anything about that? If that's the case, that's a different conversation that we're having. Right. But if you're just expressing it, I understand that feeling because I've been there a lot. Um, and so even when she expresses those things, it's encouraging to me that she at least has me to tell those things to, because having even one person who cares and knows how you feel can keep you from actually acting on it. So like, I was always a pretty depressive person, even as a child and very lonely. And I remember at one point I went over to a friend's house. I was in elementary school went over to a friend's house and that didn't happen very often, but I climbed up their family's silo, which is a very tall building. You store grain in there. And, um, and I remember, I remember thinking no one would miss me if I jumped off. Mm. In grade school. In grade school. Wow. Um, which is ridiculous because I was at a friend's house. <laughs> so oh. it's like, you'd think that person would be bothered by it. Um, but honestly, what kept me, the, the next thought was my mom would think it was her fault. And so I climbed down. Mm -hmm. So having, having that one person is a big deal. In high school, I wished we had, I remember wishing that we had sharper steak knives at our house um, because then I could actually like end things or I could, you know, I could actually like, if I tried to hurt myself with a steak knife with our steak knives, like that wouldn't, <laughs> that wouldn't do anything. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, I guess I just don't have any materials. Um, and then in college, I started doing just like a lot of self-harm. You don't know any of this stuff. So like, I don't welcome to my life. Um, no, no. Yeah. I want to jump through and give you a hug right now, but keep going. Yeah. No, you're okay. Um, I'm okay. In college, I found a different preferences for self-harm. My favorite one was burning. Actually, my friend and I were into using like wax seals you know, we were weird and we wrote hand letters and we would send things to people. And so um, oh, we would. That's not weird. That's nice. Yeah. I mean, it they were nice weird. letters, right? Yes. They were nice letters. That They're was good. relationship. That part was good. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and I had a boyfriend in college, same thing. Like we were all into, like we would melt wax, put it on the letter to close the letter. And then we had different seals and we'd put those on there and send it out. And it was very sweet and very cool. But when I had really, really low moments, I would take that wax and I would melt it and then I would use it to burn myself. Mm. Um, and I still have a great scar on the inside of my finger where like, you know, I just let the wax drip on it and just watch as it like burns through your skin. It got mm. really deep. Um, yeah. And then the, then I, you know, watched it heal and it healed very slowly and it was an interesting process, but um, in grad school, I took a memoir writing class and I wrote about all of these things. And it was the first time I had ever compiled it and actually written about it and let anyone like gave it to anybody. Right. And, you know, I got a good grade 
but my professor said, oh, that's not a big deal. We did, we did that all the time when I was a kid. And I was just like, on one hand, it's true. I didn't actually kill myself. So yeah, it must not have been a big deal. Right. And on the other hand, it's like, don't say that to someone when they right. admit to their. No, no. Cause you were expressing where it was coming from in the memoir. Right. right. Not. Yeah. Cause I get him and he's a boy. Cause you said he. <laughs> yeah. So when yeah. we were boys, we would drop wax and then peel it off. But you right. drop it from a distance, so it wasn't hot, and it didn't burn your finger. Or do so. His brain went to that place instead of, I'm writing about trauma, yeah. and self harm, yeah. and you're not seeing me or hearing me. Yeah. But thanks for the A. Thanks, thanks, man. <laughs> Appreciate it. So I've was that the first time you expressed those actions to anyone? I think so. And your reaction was that's not that big of a deal or the reaction you got received. Mm, Yeah. And Um, so since then you've communicated with healthy people who've responded in healthy ways to help you see what was going on there. I'm hoping. Yes. So since then, first of all, it became less of an issue partly because I made really great friends in grad school Mm, relationships. Yeah. They were my writer's group. I started a writer's group and through that group of people, I, I don't know. I felt like I belonged and I felt like I had created something really successful and beautiful. And that writer's group is still meeting today. That's like 10 years. Um, Mm. And um like without me, they, I took several years off. They kept going and then ah. invited me back in. Um, uh-huh. So that was really helpful. And I also met Gary and, you know, when you meet someone that you connect with enough, like so much that you marry that person, um, oftentimes you can connect to, even on those things, even on the darkest things. Right. And, and so that was really helpful. And I also, have a really good friend his name is Forrest Kemmer and I'm hoping to interview him for this podcast uh. um, and one way he was really helpful to me not only is he one of my oldest friends but he has a long history of working in the mental health industry um, mm-hmm. I just remember going out for lunch with him one day and just talking through a bunch of stuff. And he was like, honestly, you sound like you're depressed. He gave a bunch of technical terms and whatever, but he was like, yeah, I would encourage you to go actually like see mental health professionals and kind of just get a team, get a team of people who are caring about your mental health, your physical health. Like you have a lot of people caring for your spiritual health, but there are other things too. Um, that could be helpful to you. And, and so not only was he great cause he was a safe person. I could say those things too, but also he actually was able to point me in the right direction and kind of give me some information on how to do those things. So I have that now I do have a, like, I have a team of people who care about my spiritual walk, my physical life, my, uh, mental health. Um, and it's, it's really helpful. 
I did actually get diagnosed with a disorder called PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. A lot of women have it. Um, it is essentially like PMS in reverse. So like, instead of, instead of have, having like mood swings, the week before your cycle starts over, um, you have mood swings or PMS like three weeks out of a month and you get one week off. Uh, okay. And so oddly enough, the medicine that they put you on for that is the same kind of medicine they would put you on for depression anyway. So yeah. So now I'm on a medication for it, which has been super helpful. And, you know, medications don't replace healthy thinking and healthy living. But if you have a major chemical imbalance, like I do, there's only so much good thinking can do to fix chemicals. So right. Yeah. And the chemicals actually then allow you to have that healthy thinking. Mm -hmm. I think I had that conversation with Forrest after Gary and I were just fighting like crazy. And, And the thing was, in the moment, I thought that I was being rational. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I would get to that one week where everything switched. And I would look back at the previous weeks and be like, that was crazy. That was insane. That didn't make any sense at all. And so that's when I had that conversation with Forrest. And uh, was like, yeah, you should, I think you should check out this. Um, right. And so did it take a while to be able to articulate that to Gary that you could look back and say, no, I wasn't right when I was in that state. No, it did. It didn't take long at all. Cause as soon as I got into that week of clarity, I was like, that was nuts. And so I was, I like went to him immediately and was just like, that didn't make sense. I'm so sorry. Like this, I, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So That's have- great. I, yeah. I, I, cause my experience as a pastor and talking to a lot of people would be that vulnerability with the spouse is really difficult mm-hmm. as you're still trying to figure out what it is so that you are able to be vulnerable enough to go, I don't know what that was, but I know it wasn't right is yeah. pretty dynamic that you were able to do that. Cause I would say most are not until they're further down the journey of understanding. Well, I am a one on the Enneagram, which means that I want to be perfect. So if, oh. I, can, if I can blame it on anything else, yeah, I'd be happy to blame it on anything else. So, like, it's not me. I'm not broken. So yeah, if things aren't perfect, another, you know, like I had having kids was really, really hard in in that regard um because i had to go off medication for pregnancies and Uh for pregnancies for breastfeeding like i and and so that and then your hormones go insane and then my oldest son did not sleep at all for like three and a half years and um so it was really hard and i don't feel like i did that stage of life very well Mm. 
most recently when my kids were very little, I have two last stories of self-harm. One was when my daughter couldn't sleep. So my son never slept, but then Rosie came along and she slept well while Augie continued to not sleep. But there's this one night when Rosie was a baby that I just could not get her to sleep. I'd rock her till she looked asleep. And then every time I put her down, she would wake right back up. And I, I was exhausted. Mm. And I could feel myself starting to lose control. Mm. So instead of hurting Rosie, which Gary tells all new parents that there will come a time that they will want to throw their baby in the river. And um, <clears throat> that's where I was at. Um, but so instead of hurting Rosie, I put her down and I just started punching my legs as hard as I could. And, yeah. you know, because I know another mom who punched the wall in her baby's room at a moment like this, and she ended up breaking her hand. So I didn't want to do that. Right. And so the next day, my legs were just completely black and blue. Mm. But then the last one, the last time I ever hurt myself physically, um, the kids and I had just had a bad day. They were a little older, probably age three and five. And I think we were in the middle of our bedtime routine routine, and they were just not doing what they were told or something. It wasn't even that bad, but I lost it. I yelled at them. Mm. I yelled at them and I could tell by the look on my son's face that I scared them. Right. And I just felt like, you know, it would be better if I wasn't around. He doesn't mm. need me. He doesn't need right. that. He needs something better. And I was so ashamed that when I finally got them in bed, I went to the bathroom and I took the razor out of my husband's shaving kit and I slashed a big gash in my thigh. Mm. Um, and part of, part of my self-harm throughout beginning to end has always been hurting myself physically was a way to get the anger and the pain and whatever that was going on inside out so that I could actually wow. deal with it. If okay. I could make it manifest in a physical way, right. it, would, it would snap me out of it. Um, because so you I would, would feel that physical pain and yep. you'd have to focus on that. Yep. I would go into, I'd go into like, Oh, I have to fix this mode. And I would snap out of the anger. Somehow or, that was being attentive to the inner turmoil that was going on. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, the rest, as soon as I sliced my leg, um, you know, I started bleeding profusely and like, I have this huge, ugly scar on my leg now, um, but it both snapped me out of it, so it worked, but it also, it also scared me. That was probably the worst one I've ever done. And, you know, obviously I, 
I wasn't trying to kill myself. I didn't do the veins thing. I, you know, like I just needed it to become a physical thing. It was that pain. Right. Yep. But now did Gary know about that right away? I told him maybe a few days later. Okay. Um, but that was years ago, you know, Right. That, that was years ago. I've continued to talk through things with my therapist and whatever. Um, and I am on still on medication and I have barely been tempted. You know, I've maybe been tempted to do something once or twice in the past several years, but honestly, that big, huge, ugly scar on my leg is a good deterrent. Um, so in general, I think people are way more messed up than you probably realize. Right. And on the outside, like I've been a professional graphic designer for 10 years and I do a really good job and my life is really you do a fabulous job and in general i'm happy i have a great life my family is amazing i've had a beautiful ministry in bristol for 13 years and god is so present and so visible Mm. in my life and also mental health struggle is part of my story that doesn't disqualify me from being an acceptable person it doesn't disqualify me from being trustworthy Mm. in fact honestly being willing to be open with my experiences has enabled me to be a comfort to other people who are going through similar things wow and like new parents who already feel guilt and shame that they're not perfect at this new role they're in so being open with things, being open with your past and your experiences can actually be refreshing and hopeful to a new generation of people. Mm. Um, And I think in the next episode, you and I are going to talk about marriage relationships and fighting and things like that. And like, I've always been super, super open with people in our congregation just about the struggles of marriage, how hard it is, how like some of the failures that we've had and the fights that we've had. And, um, and it's usually the comment that I get on things like this is that, wow, I wish more people would talk about this stuff. Mm. Um, And so story matters story it is a shame and a detriment to society when we do not share these stories. But it's- well, it hasn't been, gosh, you know, we've talked about mental health issues for, I don't know, 20, 30 years or so, but it hasn't been an accepted topic until the last few years. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. when you talk about Paoli, and any church that I've served um, and you say, you know, people are this, but they're also this. Mm-hmm. If, if um, a, someone with my position is not just a preacher, mm-hmm. 
but a pastor and invested in people's lives, there's pretty much nothing out there that's surprising. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I can go back to the 80s and people uh, dealing with mental health issues, hormonal issues, combining those issues, all kinds of things. And the fear of taking medicine back in the 80s that was so strong. Mm -hmm. And then it loosened a little bit, but then it came back strong again that it was a bad thing. And I can't tell you dates or whatever, but yeah. it just kind of seemed to ebb and flow there. And, and yeah, I mean, I was always an encourager of um, there are chemical things in our bodies also that are going on. And there's nothing wrong with getting that physical help. Uh, but thank you, God. Yeah. Thank you, God, for medicines like that. Thank you, God, for operations. It's amazing what they've done in the years that I've wrecked my back three times <laughs> just to see that progress on, you know, myself. It's amazing what they do with medicine. And that's all a gift of God, what God has done that we understand the body and that um, you talked about the Nomad podcast in our last conversation, I think. Mm -hmm. They interviewed Claire Foster Gilbert. And so I've listened, that's an hour and a half long. And I've listened to that whole thing. And I mean, she's just amazed me. She has myeloma, multiple myeloma, which is that blood cancer. And she doesn't have a tumor that she can imagine attacking. Right. It's flowing through her. And so she talks about how in her prayer life that she imagines herself as being there with that blood because as much as that blood is bringing disease to her body, it's also bringing life to her body and that she understands that and prays with the joy and with the pain. Um, and that's all what medicine has done for us. So. Yeah. That actually leads me into another topic, which involves mental health. Um, part of the reason why I struggled so much with depression in high school and college, um, and part of the reason why lots and lots of women have issues with this is because of just body image stuff. Mm. And, um, after I got married in and had kids, um, I realized at some point that like, the things that I was saying to myself, I would never say to another person. And so I was actually being verbally abusive to myself. Right. And this is how I dealt with it. I had to teach myself to start talking to my body as though it were a different person from me. And so in the times when I would typically be telling myself and everyone talks to themselves, like it's, you sound like a crazy person, but like everyone talks to themselves. And so in the times when I'd be like, oh my gosh, I really wish this part of me was different. Oh my gosh, this is so ugly. This is so horrible. Why does anyone even like you? Blah, blah, blah. When I would say in the times when I would normally be spouting horrible things at myself, I take the time to remember that my body is a 
human person. And I would never talk that way to another human person. And so just like when Claire is praying and she's, she, she does these embodied prayers where she visualizes being her blood and she moves through her veins and she speaks kindly and tenderly to her blood. And she says, thank you for keeping me alive. Those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of visualize myself talking to a friend and Mm -hmm. just saying, Hey, you look so great in that. Or even if it's something that does actually need to change, just admitting like, Hey, that's not your fault. That's my mm-hmm. fault. Mm-hmm. I haven't been taking care of you. I haven't been exercising or I have been eating junk food all the time or whatever. I can give you an example. I'm trying to teach another friend how to do this mm-hmm. because she's horribly abusive verbally to herself. I'll just, I wrote four of them. So the first one, let's call her Kate. Hey, body. Hey, friend. Thanks for being with me. It's nice to not be alone. Thanks for being alive. I'm so glad that your heart is beating. I love the feeling when you breathe. I just wanted to say that your face is so youthful and lovely and it brings joy to other people. And your complexion is perfect. I know for a fact that other people are jealous of it. Your laugh is amazing. And I love your bold hair color. It fits you so well. I'm so sorry that your knee is hurting. That's got to be really hard for you. I'm going to do everything I can to help make it better. We can do this. I've got you. Love, Kate. Mm. Um, That's beautiful. That's powerful. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, because Kate twisted her knee the other day, and she's had had to have surgery, like, um, on it in the past. And so she twisted her knee on the ice the other day and it has kept her from going to the gym because it's in pain. And, mm. and so then that makes her feel like she's going to gain weight. And then she just spirals down because in her mind, if she, she's unmarried. So, and in her mind and from churches that she's been a part of in the past, if you're a female and you don't get married or you're not married yet, then you have failed in some way and God must hate you. Mm. And, um, yeah. So like, she's terrified. Now this isn't a pushback. This is just because I'm different. Mm. So I don't talk to myself. That's part of your emotional deadness, Jeff. It is. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also my sevenness because what I do is fantasize, Hmm. uh, not in an inappropriate way, but meaning I'm always future thinking. Mm. So daydreaming. Yeah. Kind of, you know, I travel in my brain a lot. I go places uh, because I was an artist. I'll do things in the house in my brain. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can't pick anything up really, but. You know, so I'll do things, I'll change a room around, I'll, I do that kind of stuff, but I don't. So that's what 
is fascinating hearing from you and fascinating hearing what Claire does with her body. And I thought, should I be doing that with my body? How would I, how would I speak mm. to my body? Um, body, don't move, don't move a muscle. It will hurt you if you do. I don't, you know, I'm, I mean, so yeah, that's my yeah. emotional vacuum there that I, I was struggling. I love the beauty of how she expressed Claire of how she expressed what she did. I love the beauty of what you just wrote that you say you do for yourself, but you wrote for Kate there. Um, our made up name. Um, I, I, I think that's beautiful, but I, I struggle to translate that. Well, some of myself. it is, do you ever, do you ever experience your body as your enemy? Because I think we do. And I think Claire has the opportunity to think of her body as the enemy, but she has decided not to. And. Right. No, it's just this thing that I walk with. I don't, hate it and I'm not mad at it. It's just this kind of broken genetic cesspool of all the families that have come down to me, but it's not, yeah, I'm not against it in any way. Um, but it's been able to allow me to be at peace with what's going on. Mm -hmm. So that's, I don't think you need to talk to yourself because you don't experience your body as an enemy. I suppose somebody who did speak to their body a lot could get very dark and very sad very easily. Oh yeah, absolutely. Where for me, it took that med change to feel ugh, enough that I could express, I'm really tired of this change that's, that's going on, but um yeah, I, I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful what you're doing for Kate. I think it's beautiful what you've passed on to us. I think it's beautiful what Claire has shared. Yeah, really, really beautiful. Just as we are. really appreciate you being so honest and and open um i was struggling a little bit hearing your story this part of your story that i haven't heard going oh i feel bad that's the empathy side of me the only emotional side like i should have known this before we should have uh and even i mean when was augie born were you at paoli when he was born or was Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so that was all happening underneath my nose. So. Paoli, well, the thing is, Paoli was my one day to get out of the house and put like professional clothes on and be a real human being. So yeah. Paoli was one of the things that saved me relationships yeah. there and having a job and whatever. Yeah. So it. Yep. Yeah. All right. 
and I'm glad that um, you still like me because I'm sure I said some pretty smart aleck things to you that you didn't understand at first. Um, my sense of humor in the midst of all that you were going through. <laughs> no, you were good. It usually takes people about six months. Some people <laughs> three years and some people never. <laughs> So uh, this cool thing that I can tell you that I can conclude with. So Molly is coming over for dinner tonight. So Molly is going to help push me Mm -hmm. on the Camino this summer. And most people are from the West Coast. And so I was shocked to find out that Molly lives in Uh, Villanova and works at the campus there so we had coffee once but she's coming over uh, for dinner tonight Um, I don't know what I she said something about what can I bring for dinner and I said we're fine we're having grilled rhino or I don't know what I said but you know my sense of humor and she's the poor thing she's just not getting it yet really (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I'm like, I'm sorry. I, you know, that's just my brain. We're having chicken. (laughs) I don't know what I wrote, but anyway, yeah. That's okay. I get it. I think it's fun. (laughs) Thanks for joining us for A Different Kind of Walk. If you or people that you know are struggling with mental health, depression, substance abuse, or suicidal thoughts, you can find help in your area at www.mentalhealth.gov. Until next time, live well.